Today on Standing on the Word. It's impossible that if you walk away from all these experiences and all these benefits and all that you've, you've, you've been a, a part of, that if you walk away from it now, it's impossible that you could be renewed again. After all this, it, it's, it's impossible to be renewed again. If you regress so far that you walk away, if you go back to the old life now, then there, it's impossible that there's no coming back. It's like if you walk away and you have one foot in and one foot out and you're sitting there thinking about it right now, should I stay or should I go? That if you take that final decisive step and you turn your back on Christ and you walk away from him, it's possible that Christ may shut the door and say, you never come back now. Oh, that's so dangerous. That's the most severe warning in all the Bible. You're listening to Standing in the Gap. Standing for Truth in a Fallen World. Welcome to Standing in the Gap, Standing on the Word, a verse-by-verse study of the Bible and the powerful truths that are revealed throughout God's Holy Word. I'm your host, Mike Cross. Today we'll hear from Josh Tompkins from his series on the warnings of Hebrews and now from his sermon titled, The Danger of Spiritual Immaturity. Here's Josh. This may be the most important part of our week as we open up your Word and, and beg of you to speak to our hearts. Let our minds today be clear, concentrated on your word, because we need to hear this warning. Let our hearts be open and receptive to this word. We need not only to hear it with our ears, but we need to receive it with our hearts. And we need to walk out of this church today doing exactly what it tells us to do, because we need to see there is great danger here. So God, help me today to present these truths in a very clear, simple way that we could all understand them. And God, help us today to receive these words as the very words of our God. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, my kids went to the doctor this week, and I'm just, I know I like to use my kids as illustrations because I think that's why God gave them to me. Uh, <laughs> to, to use them in sermons, I'm just kidding about that. But they went to the doctor this week to get their checkup, and Steph texted me uh, their heights and their weights, and, and it's amazing to see how fast a kid can grow up. It's amazing that it was, we, we used to do this where we would, uh, on, on our uh, door frame in our old house when our, we first had our kids. I don't know if you guys have done this. I think a lot of people do uh, do these types of things. Is that when your kids are young, you put them up against the door frame of your house and you take a, a pencil, usually a pencil. Don't take a Sharpie to it. I got in big trouble for taking a Sharpie to it one time. Uh, so you, you get your kids up there and it starts out really, really small. And, and you start marking them to see how, how much they're growing. And you do this. I mean, my kids at that time, Isaiah, he wanted to see how fast he was growing. It would be like every day. He'd say, Dad, mark me again. Dad, Dad, mark me again. And you sit there and you just take a pencil. But it's best if you do it about a year at a time. Like you go to the doctor and, and you get a checkup. So this year, and you take, put the date on it, it would be down there on the, on the bottom. It would be Isaiah, two years old. Isaiah, three years old. Isaiah, four years old. And we did that with Gracie, too, when she was real young. And it would be Gracie, you know, one. Gracie, two. And then now it's like Gracie, 12. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> And I hope it doesn't go crazy. It's only, you know, 16. Uh, but you watch as they grow. And we check those dates off. And you, and you do that because you want to see the progress of their growth, right? If, and let me ask a what-if question. What if my kids went to the doctor this year for their checkup, and, and they went to the doctor and they looked at last year, and then they looked at this year, and they hadn't grown in a whole year? There would be something wrong, would there not be? I mean, they, you'd be sitting there saying, wow, there's something just ain't right. We're going to have to go to deeper checkups. We're going to have to go to a, another doctor. But something isn't right here. We need to uh, dig deeper. There's a warning sign. If you're not growing, something is wrong. Now, let me ask you this, another what-if question. What if, as I was marking the, the kid's height on that door frame, what if 
this year, you know, Gracie's up here, <laughs> you know, what if I marked Isaiah? And I think he was 5'2", and he was so proud of that. He said, I, oh, it's, it's only another foot, Dad, till I'm your height. I'll get there, and I'm going to pass you up. And <laughs> I had to knock him down a little bit. But anyway, what if Isaiah at 5'2", this year, and we went back to the doctor next year, or went to the door frame again next year, and Isaiah wasn't 5'2", but Isaiah was 4'2". And you're looking at it, and you say, he hasn't grown any. He's actually regressed. He's went down. He's, 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 he has uh, went from 5'2 to 4'2. To to. He's lost a foot in a year. And if, if we did that, the doctor wouldn't say, ah, no big deal. He's okay. You would look at that and you'd say, that is a warning. There is something not right with him. If he's not growing, then there's something bad wrong. It's a big warning sign to us that if we don't grow, something is bad wrong. If you're not growing, you're in great danger. And I'm talking about physical growth, but in the book of Hebrews here in chapter 5, he's talking about spiritual growth. These people in that he's, he's writing to and in the, in the, in these Hebrew Christians, the audience has made a profession of faith. They've turned to Christ. They've turned from their old way of life. They've been living for Christ. They may have been, have been over time growing. As spiritual Christians, they may start out as a baby, but they've been growing and they've been going to church and they've been reading their Bible and they've been getting better and everything's been going so well. But all of a sudden, in this book, something bad has been happening to them. They've been facing persecution. They've been facing martyrdom and they've been tempted to to turn away from Christ. And at this time, they haven't been progressing in their walk with Christ. They've been regressing in their walk with Christ. These Christians have been going the wrong way. They've been, if you want to use this word, backsliding. They've been not growing closer to Christ. They've been moving away from Christ. And again, I'm going to make the main point, the main point, that if you aren't growing closer to Christ, you are in great danger. That's the whole point of this passage. You, and we all need to understand this, that it's, it's not good for us to not, not only not progress in our walk with Christ, it's not good for us to stay the same. It's not good for us to, it's definitely not good for us to regress and get worse and worse and further away from Christ. I think we would all agree with that. In, in the physical world, if we're not growing, it's, it's dangerous. In the spiritual world, and I think we, in, in, in the church today, if we don't grow, it's kind of like, ah, who cares? But this passage would tell us, and we need to get this, if you're not growing closer to Christ every year, every day, all the time, then you are in great danger. I'm going to say it in, in a more technical way, and I want you to grab this. Spiritual infancy is one step away from spiritual apostasy. So you need to be very careful and watch yourself to see if you are growing or not, because that's this warning. It's spiritual immaturity. It is a very big deal, and it's a dangerous, so serious, that the, and, the, and the author of Hebrews loves his people so much can you imagine if the doctor said there's something bad wrong with your kid, he's not growing? And I looked at him and I was like, eh, no big deal. You would call me an unloving father. And if a pastor stands up in front of a church and, it, and they're not growing spiritually, and he says, ah, no big deal, he doesn't love you. So the author of Hebrews showing his pastoral concern here is going to give them a warning. He's going to say, guys, if you're not growing, you are in great danger. So it's a warning that we all must listen to, a warning that we all must heed. We need to be uh, awakened to the condition of our souls. Are you growing or are you a spiritual 
infant. It's one of the most serious warnings in all the Bible. If you're not growing, you are in great danger. So let's look at this. I've got three points as we work our way through this. We're going to start with the reality. I want to show you the reality of their spiritual immaturity. And I'll go ahead and give you the outline. Uh, you guys want to go ahead and write it down. The reality of spiritual immaturity. And then we have the remedy starting in verse 1 of chapter 6. There's the remedy to our spiritual immaturity. If you are a, a babe in Christ, here's how you grow up. And then the last three verses we'll cover is the risk of remaining spiritually immature. So let's look at this starting in verse 11 of of chapter 5, we see the reality of spiritual immaturity. As, as you see there, he says, and, and I want to give you kind of a background of where he's been going. He says, of whom we have many things to say. You say, of whom? Who's that whom that he's talking about? Who is he saying, I want to say more about? And I think you would, you would if you've been with us these first two weeks, you would see that the book of Hebrews, when he's talking about whom, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is his favorite topic. He's been talking about Jesus and the excellency of, of Christ. He's doing what he does best, talking about Jesus. The superiority of Christ, the greatness of Christ. He's telling his people the same thing I want to tell you, that Jesus is worth following. He's worth giving up everything for. He's worth dying for. Jesus is worth it. There's nothing greater in the world than the Lord Jesus Christ. Live for him, love him, serve him, die for him, stand up for him, speak up for him. There is no one more worthy for us to give our lives to than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, the, that's, that's who he's been talking about. His favorite, favorite topic is Jesus. His favorite person in the world is Jesus. Can that be said about you? So that's who he's been talking about. And he says, I have more to tell you about Jesus. Do you see that? I have more to tell you about Jesus. Look with me in verse 11. I want, and I want to go back and show you some more things. Of whom I have many things to say to you. Do you see that? You can go back up a few verses and he's been talking about Jesus and his high priesthood. That's a deep theological topic. He's been talking about Jesus as the, the sacrifice for our sins. He, he, has, he is a high priest who sacrificed himself. He didn't bring a, a goat. He didn't bring a ram. He didn't bring a lamb in there and lay it down and sacrifice for our sins. But our high priest went in and laid himself down for our sins. He was our and is our only sacrifice for sins. That's our high priest. He's greater than any priest in, in the Jewish religion. Okay, He's greater than the priesthood. And then he goes on to say, not only that, but he's the only source of salvation. And he's the only one that intercedes for us in heaven right now. If you want to have access to God, then you go through the, the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this, this is great stuff. And he's saying, I want to tell you more about him. He even said, verse 10, he's going to compare him there to, this is, a, this is good, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's talking there in, in, in chapter 5 about the Melchizedekian high priesthood of Christ. Now, write that one down. <laughs> and he says, I want to tell you more about that. I want to give you more detail about just how great it is to have a personal high priest in Jesus. That we don't have to go to a priest in some temple. We don't have to go to a priest in some little box and, and, and confess our sins. We have a greater high priest in heaven that we can go to and he intercedes on our behalf. He is my access unto God. He forgives my sins. He laid his life down for me. I mean, this is the greatest topic that you could ever discuss. But, watch this. 
I didn't mean to go that deep into it. I, I just like talking about Jesus. <laughs> he says in verse 11, but I can't do it. I want to go deeper. I want to go out into deeper waters, but I can't go there. I can't tell you about the, the Michalzadekian high priesthood of Christ. Why? Because you guys are too immature to understand it. I want to go into the deep waters of the pool, but you guys are sitting over here in the kiddie pool and you can't handle it. I want to take you into the high priesthood of Christ and tell you how great it is that he laid down his life for us, how great it is that he's the only source of salvation, how great it is that he intercedes in heaven for us. I want to tell you these things. These are, these are outstanding things, but, and it's deep things. It's theological things. It's doctrinal things. I mean, this is talking, I'm talking deep pool water. This is deep water to get into. But I can't go there because you guys are up here splashing around with arm floats on in the cube. You're a bunch of babies over there, and you can't take what I want to tell you. So he gives us a whole pause here of telling them, you guys need to grow up so you can understand this stuff. He wants to go into deeper water, but they're, again, stuck in a, the shallow water of Christianity. And I'll stop here and give a little application. Christianity today is so shallow. They take you nowhere deep. They don't tell you anything about Christ. They give you little... We have churches today that are nothing but kiddie pools for Christians. And you have, you have these men. I, in my mind, I see some of these churches, and I don't want to name no names or talk about anybody, but they, 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 they glorify simplicity. They glorify being a baby. They want to keep you a perpetual babe in Christ, and they, they, they talk negatively about anybody that wants to teach anything. It's, it's like you have a bunch of, of, of kiddie pool churches over there with these grown men preachers over there. With, in my mind, I see this. And they got their little arm floaties in, you know, getting up to preach at arm floaties. And he says, you need to grow up. You guys are babies. And that's, that's the problem. Why are they? Here's the problem with it. I, I'm going to get through this. Why are they babies? Why can't they understand these things? Verse 11, of whom we have many things to say that are hard to be uttered. They're hard to understand, not because they're difficult, but because you are dull of hearing. You see that? It's, I mean, it says that in verse 11, because you're dull of hearing. That, that's the problem. You're immature because you're <laughs> dull of hearing. You know what dull means? Dull means you're lazy. Dull, that word would mean a dead arm, a dead limb. It's like you wake up in the morning, you've been sleeping funny, and your arm is sound asleep. I woke up the other, other morning like that, and I, I thought I, I didn't even have an arm anymore. It was just a dead arm. And I sit there, and I was in bed with Gracie, and I sit there and just beat it up against the, the table in her room, <laughs> trying to get it to wake up. You know, I mean, that's, I think some of you have had an arm that's asleep, but... That's what he's saying here. And it's not an arm that's asleep. It's you are asleep spiritually. You're asleep at the wheel. You're not paying attention. You're, you're coming to church, and it's all dull to you. I mean, and some of you sitting here, I can see in your faces right now, you, you, you understand completely what dull means. Because you, you're, you're counting the stones on this wall back here, and it's just a dull sermon. You're looking right past me. You have no idea what I'm saying. You don't care. It's just a, a dull church service with dull music and a dull prayer and a dull Bible, and everything's so dull, and you, you are dull of hearing. You have a lazy mind. You don't want to hear about the great things of Christ. That's what he's saying here. I'm not talking about you. That's what he's saying here. I'll get him in trouble, not me. <laughs> You guys are dull of hearing. You're zoned out. You're asleep at the wheel. You're immature because you're lazy. And I can explain this. You used to be so excited. I don't know if you've ever been that way. You used to be so excited about the things of Christ. 
You couldn't wait to get to church. And then, I mean, it, you, you were the first one at the door. I mean, you were so excited about church. You were so, so excited about Christ. When, the, when we said sing, you, you stood up and you sang at the, at the top of your lungs because you were singing about Jesus who you loved so much. When the offering plate came around, you couldn't wait to dig something out of your pockets and give. I mean, I used to be that way. I mean, when I first got saved, it was so exciting. I mean, I would sit there on the edge of my seat while the pastor preached, and I would tell everybody down everything that he said. I mean, it was just the, the, the most exciting thing in the world. And then over time, life started to dull that excitement. And that's what's happened to them. They become lazy and indifferent. It's no big deal to them. They, they've taken a laissez-faire approach to their Christianity. And if you don't know what laissez-faire means, it means just let things take its own course. They just let it go. And they don't care anymore. If I grow, okay. If I don't, okay. Who cares? At least I'm a Christian. <laughs> but if you're not growing, you are in great danger. So I ask you here today, are you growing? Do you care? You say, yeah, I'm growing. Well, here's, here's, here's the, the proof of whether you're growing or not. Are you immature? And, I, and I'll, I'll close out this first point on the reality of immaturity by showing you what it looks like to be an immature baby Christian. It's okay to be a baby Christian if you're a new Christian. It's like it's okay to be a baby if you're a baby. <laughs> it's okay to drink milk and a bottle if you're a baby. But if you have an adult walking around with a bottle in his mouth, something's not right. It's okay to be a baby if you're a baby. It's okay to be immature if you're new. But if you've been sitting around this for so long and you haven't been growing, there's something wrong. So are you immature or not? Look what he says here. I'll give you three ways you can tell if you're immature. He says in verse 12, for, the, for in the time you ought to be teachers, you should be here, right? That's what it says. You ought to be teachers. That's a high, right? You ought to be able to teach the Bible. I mean, that, that, that's, that's supposed to be very mature. When, when they have the qualifications of a pastor, the pastor must be mature. And one of the things they must do is they must know the Bible. You know, they, they must be mature. They must be able to teach the Bible. So that's pretty high. You should be here. But look what it says where they are. The time has come you ought to be teachers, but now you have need that one teach you the ABCs of the faith. When it says the first principles of the oracles of God, he's saying there that you have backslid. You were here where you should be teaching. You've been in this long enough. You should be teaching. You've been going to church for 30 years. You should be teaching people. I mean, you should know the ABCs. But now you have gone so bad that you have backslid so far that now you need to know the very basics of the teaching of the Bible now. You don't even know the ABCs. What has happened to you? You should be here, but you're down here. You are our immature Christian. You've backslid. He says you ought to have been on meat. <laughs> But you're on milk. You see that's in verse 12? You should be on meat, but you're still on milk. You should be eating a steak, but you're still drinking a bottle. You have backslid. Here's where you should be, and here's where you are. You should be reading big books with big words, but you're still opening up a book with pop-out pictures. You know, you're immature. You should be in calculus. I can give you all kinds of these but you're still trying to figure out two plus two. Put it this way, you're a baby. 
And then he says the second thing, if you've backslid, number two is if you are unskilled in the word of God. You see that? For everyone that uses milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. Babies are immature and they can't handle truth. They can't handle the, the deeper things of God. It's like watching my boys go and play basketball, practice basketball, and they give them, it's just funny, they'll give them in practice, they'll hand, they handed my, my little boy two basketballs, and they wanted him to dribble up and down the court with both of them. <laughs> and then, then they get to the end of the court, and they cross them over, you know, and then they go behind their back, and they're doing all these different things, and I'm sitting there thinking, my little boy can't dribble one-handed, you know, let alone skill to do all these different things around his back and all this stuff. Start out like this, you know. And it says that if you are immature, you're unskilled. You have no skill in the Bible. No skill, no understanding. You can't handle it. Unskilled in the Word of God describes Christianity today. You could ask some people today to even tell them some of the books of the Bible. Turn to Matthew. What, what testament's that in? I'm a Christian. I just don't know anything about anything. I'm still doing this right here. When I should be doing this right here, you know. That's going to look good on Facebook. We do like that right there. <laughs> but watch this. Let me take you to the last way you can tell if you're immature. And I like this one. I'll spend just a couple minutes on it. It's if you're backsliding, if it's you're not understanding the Word of God in verse 13. In verse 14, it's if you're ungodly. Those, verse 14, that are on strong meat, that are full of age, verse 14, even those who by reason of their senses have exercised, have have grown, then they can discern both good and evil. If you are immature, then you are ungodly. If you're ungodly, you are immature. We can say it both ways. If you are not discerning good and evil and right and wrong, you are an immature Christian. It's very simple. The sign, the the sign of spiritual immaturity is is not the length of a Christian. You can sit there and say, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I must be mature. That's not how you can tell if you are mature or not. That's not how you can tell if you're a grown-up Christian or not. It's not even Bible trivia or facts. It's not how much you know up here. Because you can know a whole lot up here. You can be in a church for 30 years and you can still be a baby Christian. It's not even how many sermons you listen to. You can go to seminary and have all the degrees on your wall that you want to have, and it still doesn't mean that you are a mature Christian. You can be able to tell the ins and outs of election and predestination. I mean, you can sit there and describe it all. That does not mean you are a mature Christian. You can tell me the end times and when Jesus is supposed to come back and all the the outlines of it all. You can know all those things and talk about the end times until the end of time. That doesn't make you a grown-up Christian. You want to know what makes you a grown-up Christian? Knowing good and evil and doing the right things. The closer you are to Christ, the more godly you will become. So if you are not, if you aren't growing in godliness, you aren't growing as a Christian. That's what he says here. If you're grown up, you know good and evil, you know right and wrong. The closer you are to Jesus, the more you'll become like him. The more you'll want to be, be holy for he is holy. The more you'll want to do what's right and what's good. And you'll, you'll be fleeing away from sin and wickedness and evil. But if you're still messed up in the, in the muck of the world, you are a baby Christian. So let me ask you as I move from this point. 
Where are you now? Where are you compared to last year at this point? If you are a new Christian in the last year, then I don't expect you to be teaching. Nobody does. But if you've been a Christian for 30 years and you're, not, and you're staying the same, you're in danger. If you've been a Christian for 10 years and you're staying the same and you've never moved or maybe even regressed and you're less like Christ today than you were the day you got saved, you're in danger. So you need to check yourself because our main point again is if you're not growing, then you're in danger. So that was the reality of, I mean, it is the reality. And I don't want to be mean about it to any of you here today, but that is the reality that there, there is a possibility that we become very immature. Second point, the remedy for this. Here's how we fix it. If you are immature, here's how you fix it. Verses 1 through 3 is the, the remedy of spiritual immaturity. He gives us a way out. I, I love this. He says in verse 6, 1, Therefore, uh, as an application to all that he's just said, here's what you do now. And I like that he gives us a negative remedy. He says, here's what you are to do. Leave the baby things. Move on. Don't stay where you are. He says, leave. See that? Leave the basic principles of the doctrine of Christ. Leave the, the, the milk. It's not more milk. It's, it's leaving the milk. The milk is good, you don't, but you don't need it anymore. It's like a kid when, when they are on the milk and they have a bottle. You know how you get them off the bottle? He says, I mean, I've got four kids. I'm, I'm an expert on this now. I think after three kids, you become an expert on this. <laughs> no, I really, I looked at, Steph, looked at Steph the other day and I said, I don't think we have any idea what we're doing. <laughs> she just laughed at me and kind of agreed. She said, amen. <laughs> I cracked myself up. Here's how you get a kid off the bottle. It's progression. You show them a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what it did for me I mean it's like birthday number one you give them that piece of cake and you, you stick their hands in it and then they put it in their own face and they get that taste of it and it becomes I don't want that milk anymore this is too good you give them something better than the milk you give them something beyond the ABC's you give them something great and before you, go, you, you do that the progression of here's milk and it's good for you but here's cake <laughs> My kids still ain't left cake yet, but the cake is so good, it makes me want a piece of cake right now. And then, then you move the progression to where you get to, and there's nothing better in the world than a good steak, a piece of meat. You progress for it. You don't quit drinking milk, it's good, but you leave that and you move on. That's what he's saying here. Leave those things. Leave the ABCs. Leave the basic principles. You don't need two plus two anymore. You must leave those things. Go beyond those things. Leave the fundamentals. Leave. And he gives specifics here of what we're to leave. I, I love this. I won't spend a whole lot of time here. But here's the things we're to leave. And these are the basic principles of Christianity. Number one, he says, you see this? Don't lay again the foundation of these things. Don't be caught up in repentance. You see that repentance from dead works. And there's a lot of people in churches today that's been a Christian for 30 years and are still fighting the same sins they were fighting the day they got saved. Leave it. Move on. You've been stuck there, spinning your wheels for too long. Get past it. Move on from that sin. Move on from what it is you're stuck in. Move on from the repentance of, from dead works. And faith toward God. Get beyond. Do you have faith in Him or not? That's the heart of Christianity of the doctrine of baptisms. Have you been baptized? 
And you've been a Christian for 20 years. You ain't even done the most fundamental thing in the faith of being baptized. Move on from that. Get baptized and go beyond. That, that's the foundational things. I mean, repentance and faith and baptism. Laying on the hands probably symbolizes the, the, them receiving the Holy Spirit in that time. So he's going to say there, baptisms and, and laying on of hands, the, the fundamentals of do you have the Holy Spirit in you or not? Is there fruit or not? Leave that. And go, well, I'll give you more because he just keeps on basics. Look what he says. And of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. He's talking about salvation, sanctification, and the eternal things. Leave the basics of the faith and move on. The resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. If you say you're a Christian, live like you're going to stand before God one day. Move beyond these things. And what do you go to? Watch this. Back to verse, back to verse 1. Leave the basics, leave those principles, and go on. You see the, the, let me, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, here's the, the positive command. Let us go on unto perfection. Do you see that? Let us go on. I like the, 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 the phrase go on. It's a word that means to push away. It, it, it's what they would call a boat that would take its anchor off the dock. And they would say, go on. Push it out into deeper waters. You need to leave uh, the safe place of, your, uh, of, the, of the dock and push out into deeper waters. And let the sail take you away. We must push on. We must go on. We must press toward, as Paul would say in Philippians 3, press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. We must go into deeper waters. It's okay to have the fundamentals, but go deeper with it. Become more like Christ. Grow towards holiness. And you do this with work. Let us go on unto perfection. That's that high. You see this? Uh, I, I, I want you to, to see this for me. Perfection is the highest level of the Christian life. You see this? I want you to pay, you grab, grab this with me. Because we said you should be teachers. That means you're, you're not perfect, but you should be high. You should be mature. You should be at, at this level. But we're not pressing towards being a teacher. We're pressing on towards we want to be just like Christ. That means that we will never in this life stop growing. There will never be a point in this life when we reach perfection. But there should never be a point in this life where we stop wanting perfection. That is our mark. That is what we're pressing towards. That's where, it's, it's like Isaiah, my boy. He, he, as, as we mark these things, he doesn't want to be 5'2". He doesn't want to be 6'2". He wants to be 7'2 and be in the NBA. <laughs> That's his mark. That's what he wants to be. I think 7'2 is a little too, too tall. He could be, that's gigantic. That's shack range. But he's still, that's his goal. And he will be pressing on towards that. So he, he sets us a very high goal. He says we ought to be aiming at perfection. And ne we never reach it. We're always falling short of that. But that's our goal every day. That's where I want to be. And I will not stop until I reach that point. And I won't reach that point until I'm with Christ in heaven. So it's a constant, ever-growing Christian life. Pressing on towards that mark of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I, I want to be growing more like Him every single day. Leave the basics and move on to perfection. 
Is that your goal? Is that what you're working towards? These people here was not working towards that. They were lazy. Their goal was, it really don't, I don't matter where I am on that as long as I'm on there. And that's the attitude of most Christians in most churches in the world. I don't care where I am. I don't care if I should be a teacher. It don't matter to me as long as I'm on this. And the, the warning here is, if you aren't growing and you don't care, you are in great danger. And we're getting to that in just a second. The, the, the risk of this, if, if you are not growing and if you're not stressing towards that mark and doing your best to, to, to reach that, you are in very great danger. Verse 3, and we'll move on from this point. This is the remedy, and this we will do. I love that. I could, I, I, I could have an altar call right now in verse 3, because he says, and this we will do. He says we, so he's giving, he's talking about himself. This we will do. We're going to do this. We're going to grow. We're going to, we're going to strive to perfection. We're going to move on from the, from the baby things. We're going to get out of the baby pool. I love going swimming. I love seeing my kids over there in the baby pool. With her floaties on, water about that deep, splashing around. Do you see a guy sitting over there splashing around? Looks bad, don't it? Christians, we need to get out of the baby pool. Take the arm floaties off and go jump in the deep water. Get out of the kid pool and jump into the deep things of Christ. And this we will do. We, that, that, that's the, the resolute attitude that we need to have. It's the same word that, that Jonathan Edwards used in his, in, in, in his writings. I resolve to do this. I resolve to do this. I resolve to do that. It's like a New Year's resolution. I will do this. I'm saying today, I will continue to grow. I'm not going to regress in my walk with Christ. I refuse to do that. We will grow. As he says that, we will do it. I mean, we should have an altar call right now and, and every one of us come to the altar and bow down on our faces before God and say, we will grow. We commit today to growing in holiness, growing more like Christ. This we will do. Mark it down. Today, I commit to growth. And then he adds there, if God allows me to. <laughs> That's what you put on the end of everything, if God wills. Everything we do in life revolves around God's permission. This we will do. I will do my part. If God lets me. I will grow if God allows me to. I will do my best. I love that word in verse 14 if you see that. I don't want to go back one, but I will take you there. He says, those who have gone to full age... Those who are on strong meat, they got their how. It says they used to ha uh, have their senses exercised. It's a Greek word, gymnazo. It means they went to the gym and worked out. They wasn't working out their muscles. They were working out their souls. They were disciplined. They were giving everything they have because you cannot be a lazy Christian and grow. It is impossible. This we will do if God allows it. Church, I stand before you today saying, this I will do. And I can find myself being lazy too, just like anybody else. But this we will do if God allows. That's the remedy. Last point, and we'll close. 
So we could stop right here. I mean, this is a good stopping place. We could say this is a good place to stop. You could say, you know, who cares, grow or not. But in light of verse 4, spiritual growth is a very big deal. Because it's going to say here in verses 4 through 6, and I want you to see this, if you're not growing, you are in great danger. Here's the risk that you will face if you refuse to grow. If you aren't growing, and you're staying the same, or you're even taking steps backwards, you are in great danger. Because you are one step away from departing from Christ. Watch what it says. Verse 4, this is the risk. For it is impossible, impossible, for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift or made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, it's impossible if they shall fall away. It's impossible to renew them again into repentance. He describes here the spiritually immature. He says, for those, as people sitting in the pews in a Christian church just like ours, and he describes their experience here. Do you see this? For it is impossible for those who were, and he, he, he names off five things here, describing their profession of faith. This is their experience. This is describing a spiritual experience. It, it's not describing salvation. It doesn't say that they've had grace or righteousness, or they've been justified, or that they've been saved, or they have fruit, or they have eternal life. It describes their experience, not their salvation. That's what he says here. He's describing it. He describes their, you, you see this, he, he describes it as, as enlightened. They've, they've, they've seen the light. They've, they've tasted. They, they haven't fully engulfed it, but they've tasted it. They, they, they've had a, a taste of it. It's like you've come to church and you've been a part of this. You had a taste of the sermon. That doesn't mean you did what it said. You, you come to church and you hear a sermon. You saw the light. That doesn't mean you, you run to the light and believed. These, these, these words that he uses here, it nowhere describes in the New Testament a salvation experience. It describes a profession of faith, not salvation. You, you see that, and you made partakers. You've seen what the Holy Ghost can do. You've tasted the Word of God and the powers of the world to come. You, you've had an, an experience in Christianity. A very credible profession of faith is what he's describing here. These are people that, that would leave the church of, this, of the Hebrews and they would leave and depart from Christ and you would run into them in the street and they would look and you'd say, where have you been? Are you saved? What are you, what are you doing? And they would say, oh yeah, I am. I had, I had this experience. I tasted and I saw and, and I was involved. I saw miracles that took place in the church. I saw answers to prayers. I even may have got up and preached at some point. I've had an experience. I made a profession. This was a credible profession of faith. It's almost like something Judas would say. If you ask Judas, how about you, man? What's your experience? Oh, I, I was with Christ for three years. I saw miracles. I partook of, uh, of the experience with the Holy Spirit coming down. I mean, I had all these things. But Judas wasn't saved, was he? Or a, a credible profession in Matthew 7. I'm going to read this to you as they stand before God one day. And I want, I want you to grab this, okay? We hear credible professions all the time. I could go out right now into a gas station anywhere in Big Stone and I could ask somebody, are you saved? And they would tell me a bunch of these things right here. 
Notice none of these things says I'm saved, I've been justified, I've been forgiven. I mean, I, I, I'm going, I, I have eternal life. I'm trusting in Christ as my Savior. Uh, I'm, all, none, none, it doesn't say that. It describes experiences they had, not a possession that they had. Let me read to you what some people will say in, in standing before God one day. Many will say unto me in that day, Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not? Watch this. And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. It sounds just like these things. We have a credible profession of faith, but we have no true possession of faith. And there's some of us here, even today, that you have a very credible profession of faith. You have these experiences. You've had these things you've done in life. You can sit there and say, I walk an aisle. Doesn't mean you're saved. I said a prayer. Doesn't mean you're saved. I got, I got down on my knees here. Doesn't mean you're saved. I got baptized in here. Doesn't mean you're saved. I, I'm, I'm on the roll of the church. Doesn't mean you're saved. I taught Sunday school. Doesn't mean you're saved. Judas was closer to Jesus than any of us has ever been. And he wasn't saved. You need to be very careful that you don't have this experience where you've been, you, you may be even on the growth chart. You've had this experience and that experience and this experience and he's prophesied in his name and saw devils cast out. And you've done all these things, but then you depart from it. You need to be very careful here that you've had this experience and then walk away from it. There's a big difference between professing faith and possessing faith. And watch what happens to them. It says they depart. After having all this experience and the benefits that, that they can have in a church, they walk away. They fall. They fall off the chart. You should have been teachers. You've been in church so long. You've had years of experiences. And then all of a sudden you're gone one day. You've walked away from Christ. You've departed from the living God. You, you had all these benefits and all these privileges and all this profession of faith. And then you walked away. decide to leave. You walk away from your profession of faith like countless others have done. There are so many who have done this. And they walk away. And it is so dangerous to have all these experiences all this time and when you turn your back on Christ and go back to the old way you were living it's the most dangerous thing you it's a warning to you sitting here today. You've been in church. You've heard the Bible. You've probably been baptized. You're probably a member of the church. All these great things that have happened to you, but if you walk away right now, teenagers, not talking teenagers right now, you need to be very, very careful. Your mom and dad's taught you great things. You've heard wonderful truths. You've been in church, and if you come here, you've heard so many Bible sermons. <laughs> you, you, you have, you've heard more Bible sermons than almost anybody in the world. I mean, you better be very careful that you don't get to college and you say, I'm going to turn my back on all these experiences, all this benefit that he's given me. I mean, I've seen so much. I've seen answers to prayers. I've seen the church packed out. I've had my hands raised. I've done all these things. But I go to college. I get married. And I walk away from Christ. You are in great danger. You say, what kind of danger? Tell me. You're in danger of never being allowed back in. You say, where does it say that at? <laughs> it says, if you walk away, it is impossible 
Verse 6, if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again into repentance. The door shuts on you. It doesn't say it's difficult, does it? It doesn't say it hardly ever happens, does it? It says impossible. That's what, that's what it says. I mean, I'm, just, I'm just giving you, you know what impossible means in the Greek? I'll, you know, I'll tell you that just in case you want to know. In the Greek, it means impossible. That's what it is. It's hopeless. It ain't going to happen. It's impossible that if you walk away from all these experiences and all these benefits and all that you've, you've, you've been a, a part of, that if you walk away from it now, it's impossible that you could be renewed again. After all this, it's, it's impossible to be renewed again. If you regress so far that you walk away, if you go back to the old life now, then there, it's impossible that there's no coming back. It's like if you walk away and you have one foot in and one foot out and you're sitting there thinking about it right now, should I stay or should I go? That if you take that final decisive step and you turn your back on Christ and you walk away from Him, it's possible that Christ may shut the door and say, you never come back now. Oh, that's so dangerous. That's the most severe warning in all the Bible. That you would stand before him one day and you say, but I've experienced this and I went to church and I've been baptized, but I walked away. He'd say, depart from me. I never knew you. You depart from me. I send you away from me. That's a severe, severe warning. You say, why is that so severe? I mean, you might not get a chance to come back. You guess this is not a take it or leave it thing. How many times have you heard people say, oh, I'll, I'll go, but I'll come back. I'll go, I'll come back. I'll go, I'll come back. You might not. And I'm being gracious there because this says impossible. You can't. Why is it so serious? Why is it so harsh? And we need to understand that. Salvation profession of faith these things is not a take it or leave it attitude it's not a come and go attitude there's so many people treat it like that lazy attitude to their faith it tells you why it's a serious warning because the action is so serious look at the end of verse 6 here's why and I'll close Seeing that they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and they put him to an open shame. You do that to Jesus, and the warning needs to be very dire. You're putting yourself at the crucifixion, and you're joining the ones who have crucified him. You're conducting the trial on Jesus Christ at the cross and you decide that when you take that foot and you walk away, and that's what you're doing right now in the Hebrews, there's people that are doing that. They've got one foot in the door and they've got one foot out and he's trying to tell them, don't you dare cross that line. Get that foot that's in the world and put it back towards Christ. Don't you dare turn this way because if you do, you're turning your back on Jesus. You're, you're, you're making the verdict that I don't need Jesus. His cross is not helping me. It's no good for me. You're putting him to shame. You're turning your back on Jesus. If you turn your back on Jesus, he turns his back on you. That's just sobering. You show contempt for Christ. You're saying Christ isn't worth it, that Christ can't save, and that I don't need him. And if you treat God's son like that, 
and putting him to an open shame. And it even gives you an illustration here. And I'll close with this. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, herbs meat for them by whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God. You know, that's, that's the, the ones that grow receive the blessings. <laughs> and the ones that don't in verse 8, you see that. I mean, it's God pours down rain and, and, the, and, the, and the, the, it grows. Verse 8 says, but that which bears thorns and briars is rejected and is cursed and the end is to be burned. If you're not growing, you are in great danger of being cursed and burned. Spiritual emphasis is only one step away from spiritual apostasy. That's the truth of this passage that we need to all heed today. You know what this passage is doing to us today? Not making meaning more popular, I understand that. It's an alarm clock for our souls. That if we have one foot in and one foot out, you better get that foot and you better keep it in. Because if you take that foot and you turn your back on Christ, you're proving that you never truly had salvation. You need to be very careful. And if you want to keep yourself from turning away from Christ, then you better make sure that you're growing in your walk. Now, as I close and give an invitation, here's, here's my invitation. I'm going to give you, this is something I, I don't do a whole lot. I'm going to give you two things to look at, okay? Number one, I want you to look at yourself. I want everybody in here, I've done it this week. I'm never going to ask you to do anything that I'm not doing myself. I want you to look at yourself. And you may be sitting here and you're saying, that's a dull sermon, you know, and you're, you're sitting there and your legs are falling to sleep. That's fine. If you want to sit there and count the rocks behind me, that's okay. That's, that's up to you. If you want to sit there on your phone, that's up to you. But you are in great danger if you're not growing. So you need to make sure you look at yourself. And if you want to walk away from this and then say, ah, that's, that's no big deal. No, it is the biggest deal. There's no passage in the Bible as serious as this one. And if you can't heed this one, then you are in big trouble. We all need to hear this. We all need to make sure that we've got both feet in, facing Christ, growing towards Christ, doing everything in our power that, that we can. If God wills, I will grow. Well, that's where we all need to be. I'm resolute in this. We will grow. We need to check ourselves. Where are you? Or how close are you to Christ? Are you growing? Do you see? You are on the measurement. Where are you? We need to all be doing that. I need to be doing this. Is your excitement drifting away? When your parents say, come to church, you say, oh. When pastor says, Sunday night, you do. He's guilting me again. <laughs> you tell me where you are. I want you to look at yourself. And say, am I dull with it all? If when you hear the word dull and the first thing that comes to your mind is a sermon, if you hear the word dull and the first thing that comes to your mind is reading your Bible, if you hear dull and the first thing that comes to your mind is a hymnal, if you hear dull and it's, oh, church, it's dull, it's dull, it's dull. If you hear Jesus Christ and there's not excitement, you might be dull hearing. If something out there excites you more than the things in here, maybe you're not growing like you ought to be growing. So we need to look at ourselves. And I looked at myself this week and I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's me. Maybe I'm not as excited as I used to be. Maybe that's my heart. Maybe it's dull. And maybe, just maybe, I need to commit to growing right now. 
Now, my aim isn't to be a teacher, but my aim is to be perfect like Christ. That's what I need to do. So I looked at myself, and I'll tell you this. There was a dark cloud that came over my head this week as I studied this passage. God, I'm not where I should be. And it should be for all of us. If you're here today and you're listening, this passage should have made every single one of us say, oh, me. I've not heard a lot of amens. I like sermons where I can talk about Christ. And everybody says, yeah, there's cheering going on. You know, I love that. I wish I could preach it every week. And that's what he's saying. I wish I could tell you more about Christ. Look what he does in chapter, as soon as he gets done with this, you see verse 1 of chapter 7? For this is a day. He goes right back into what he was going to say anyway. He just stops here and says, every single one of us needs to check ourselves. This should have put a dark cloud over every single one of us. It did me and it should be. If it hasn't, then you're not listening. But I studied this this week and I sent messages out. Almost depressing. God, I sin and it doesn't hurt me like it used to. God, I come to church and it's more about trying to get everything ready and everything in its place than it is about worshiping you. God, I prepare sermons to get up here and preach it instead of getting in here to me myself. Have I become dull? Am I growing in my walk? And there was a dark cloud that fell over my head. And then I realized what this whole book is trying to tell every single one of us, he doesn't want to leave us in the, in the darkness of a cloud. He wants to take our eyes, because that's what happens. We take our eyes and we look at ourselves. And then when we see how bad we are, we lift up our eyes and we look to Christ. And there we find forgiveness. And there we find hope. And there we find encouragement. And there we find love. And there we find grace. And there we find mercy. If we keep our eyes here all the time, we will be depressed and we'll be down. And it'll be doubt and it'll be hard and it'll be difficult. But if we open our eyes and we look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, He's the one. And it's not any work that I'm going to do that's going to set me right. It's the work that He's already done. I'm looking to His righteousness and His love and His grace and His mercy. So take your eyes out of the darkness of the cloud of our own lives and look to the glory of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Him and you will grow in your faith. Because that's the problem. We stop growing when we start looking down at ourselves all the time. And we will begin to grow when we look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn your eyes to Him and you will grow. Keep your eyes on Him and you will grow. Turn to Jesus and He will keep you on the right path. It's when the world starts turning our view away. Hold my eyes always on Him. If that's taught me anything in the book of Hebrews, it's never take your eyes off Christ. And if the world starts luring your view, you see how my head is turning? That's what the world does to us. It turns us. And sometimes we get to where we're straddling that fence, and it turns us all the way away. And that's when we're in the greatest danger. But we need to turn our eyes back to Jesus. And if you're here today and you're lost, let me say you're in great danger. And the only hope you have is the Lord Jesus Christ. You need Him. I love this verse, and I'll close with this. Chapter 4, verse 16. I love this. If you're lost here today, you need Christ. You've sinned enough for Him to send you to hell on the spot, but here you are today, and He's offering you grace. Do you get that? You have sinned enough. We've all sinned enough for Him to be just in sending every one of us to hell right now. He's just in that. But He's offering you today grace. Look what He says. 
Let us therefore, I love this, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Oh, that you would come. I guarantee you, lost person, if you come today, you will find mercy in Him. The multitude of sin that's upon you, He will wipe it away and make it as if it was never there. He takes it and He doesn't wipe it away. He puts it on Himself on the cross and He pays for it completely. But you must turn to Christ. It's as easy as this. That's what repentance and faith is. And I'll say this and I'll be done. If you're lost, you're already away from your, your back's already turned from him. You're an enemy of his. You're hostile towards him. Your back's turned on him. But when you see that this is this direction is sending you straight to hell and living in sin, you turn in faith to Christ. He stands with open arms, ready to receive anyone who comes to him by faith. When you turn around, Jesus stands like this. I love that he stands ready to receive. And if you're here today and you, as a Christian, you've sinned, He stands ready to forgive. Isn't that the most glorious, beautiful Savior you've ever seen? So turn your eyes off of yourself and out of that dark cloud and look to the sunshine that is And what a wonderful message that was from Josh. Now, joining with me in the studio today is Pastor Josh Tompkins. Josh, can you explain for us what application we as Christians can take away from this passage on spiritual immaturity? Yeah, again, I think this is a very clear application for us here. As the title of the sermon says, it's, there's a danger to spiritual immaturity. Uh, there's a danger to perpetual spiritual immaturity, that you remain the same throughout your Christian life, and almost to the point where it proves that you're, you're not even saved to begin with. So you need to watch yourself, guard yourself, that we are growing in the faith. Uh, that's something that we all need to do. I think grow, or growth in the faith uh, proves to us, shows the, the fruit of the Spirit, that we are truly saved. So we don't need to be going backwards in our spiritual walk. We don't need to be staying the same, getting stagnant in our spiritual walk. We need to be growing. We need to be adding to our faith. We need to be going from the milk to the to the meat. The old song says we can be pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every single day. That needs to be our goal. That needs to be our pursuit. That needs to be what we're doing all the time uh, so that we don't fall into that danger of spiritual immaturity. Thanks. And again, that's Pastor Josh Tompkins from West End Baptist Church. And we want to remind our listeners that we love hearing from you. So if you have biblical questions that you'd like to have them answered, please send them to us by logging onto our website at www.westendbsg.org and leave them there. Also search our website for a complete list of our outreach ministries and church services and be sure to look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching at West End Baptist Church. Thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time.